Hi, it's Marty. This here gadgety thing is a Doctor Who podcast. You're most welcome. This week's episode of the Doctor Who podcast was to be about the beautiful, lovely Elizabeth Sladen. And unfortunately, we're going to have to delay that for one short week. So this week, Tom and I just sit here and have a chat to each other. Welcome to episode 109 of the Doctor Who podcast. Now, as my great friend Trevor has just let you know, unfortunately James cannot be with us today. And although we had planned to talk about Elizabeth Sladen, unfortunately we think that it's probably better if all three of us are here for that because it's a a very important episode to us and she's a very important person to Doctor Who. So we're going to leave that for another week or so. But that said, I'm joined by Trevor. Hello, Trev. Hello, Tom. Aha. And we have precisely no idea what we're going to talk about. So, for your pleasure and our fear, we're going to have uh, the second geek out that we've had inside about about a month, I think it is, isn't it? Well, uh, never is a truer word spoken. We, we really have no idea. James literally emailed us an hour or two ago saying his, his wife was unwell mm. and it had to take care of his daughter, which, you know, that's, that's, that's something that happens. I mean, that's, that's, that's the call of the family, I suppose, but... <laughs> It sort of left Tom and I, and we went, hmm. We had these huge A4 printouts of uh, stuff on Elizabeth Slade and Sarah Jane Smith and uh, yes, yes, yes. All, all, all sorts of stuff like that, and we went, well, can't use them now, can we? No, no. But- so what, what I decided to do instead, actually, rather than um, try and think about things that we could actually be talking about, in episode 109, I decided to sit down and watch uh, Voyage of the Damned. Um, all right, let's have a chat about Voyage of the Damned. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure where, where to start this chat, Tom, because um, it was a weird kind of thing. Uh, How so? I, I, I think... I, I think the whole concept of watching Voyage of the Dam came up a week or two ago. Um, anyone who's on Twitter, I, I believe there's a little group called the um, Friday Doctor Who Watching Group. And <laughs> they have a hashtag on Twitter. Mm. And they all watch the same thing at the same time wherever they are in the world. Cool. And Voyage of the Dam was one of their choices from the other week. And uh, I, I couldn't join at the time, unfortunately. But I thought, yeah, I should give Voyage of the Dam another look. Right. Um, as for a reason to why I wanted to watch it, I don't really know, apart from seeing it mentioned on Twitter. That, that was probably the only reason. Right. And what did you make of it? I don't know. I, I, I think I've got the same opinion I had um, back at the end of 2007, mm. <laughs> really. <laughs> um, that um, it, it's just a little bit of old tosh, really. Um, I, <laughs> I don't know. Mm. Um, the... This time round, I had to listen to it with the benefit of um, surround sound on the DVD and stuff like that. And, you know, the explosions at the beginning with the uh, uh, asteroids 
whacking into the side of the Titanic and all all the special effects sounds with that. You know, that, that made it sound really, really good and look really good. Mm. But then the rest of the story got to, you know, dealing with the survivors, you know, the two obese people, the little red spiky guy, the um, middle-aged posh guy and Kylie Minogue. <laughs> and it, it just went a little bit pear-shaped for me, I'm afraid. Oh, OK. Well, I've got to say, I really liked it. Um, you know, let, let, let's be honest, it's, it is what it is. It's a, a Christmas special. Uh, and, all, and all it really had to do was to um, advance the character of the Doctor for, what, an hour between, one, between the end of one season and the, beginning of, and the beginning of the next. In fairness, there's just been a bit of a heavy story with the last of the Time Lords. Masters died, Martha's walked the earth, everything's got really heavy. So what was really needed was a bit, an injection of, of humour, and that's what you've got. On Christmas Day, do you really want um, to watch... Uh, an hour and a half of Ibsen uh, and something really heavy and really dark. <laughs> no, you want something frothy and light. I don't know. That, that's something that's really always puzzled me about the Christmas specials in general. Mm. Um, people's idea of fun and frivolity seems to be diametrically different to my own. That just, just think of every Christmas special so far. It's been about death and destruction and, you know, London or, or the U of K being in peril yep. and um, aliens trying to invade or destroy the planet or something like that. Mm. And why it wasn't happening directly with Voyage of the Damned, you know, we did have the Titanic trying to swoop over Buckingham Palace and kill the Queen, I suppose. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it, it just seems strange that people say, oh, it's a Christmas story, it's about fun, it's about, you know, the season of goodwill. But, no, every Christmas story so far has been about, you know, awful-looking aliens trying to blow up the Earth. Well... That's what a Christmas special is supposed to be. I mean, is there... <laughs> is, so I don't remember any other Christmas special, and I know the you know British um, TV has a wonderful, beautiful history mm. of their shows doing Christmas specials, and I love you for it. Hmm. Pretty much any British series you can name has done one, oh. um, but I don't remember any of the others being quite so. Um, I don't know. Fatalistic in their approach to what what they offer. So, are you saying it's too? Are you saying it's too heavy? Well, I'm I'm saying it's heavy in in every essence, I suppose. That it, it's it's what I was just saying before there that people say, oh, Christmas specials are about a bit of frivolity at Christmas, and everyone seems to say that. Yeah. But everyone seems to forget that every Christmas special Doctor Who's done has been about death, destruction, and alien oh, invasion. I see. I see. Okay. But at the, okay, at the same time, though, let's if we compare Voyage of the Damned to Last of the Time Lords. At the end of Last of the Time Lords, you've got one of the Doctor's oldest friends uh, having his body burned atop a pyre. In Voyage of the Damned, you've got something actually quite light and frivolous. Yes, there is um, the development and death of Kylie Minogue and, it is, and it's very poignant or Astrid I should say uh, and it's very poignant and I remember actually how up in arms Doctor Who fans were about the name of Kylie Minogue number one that Kylie Minogue was in it but number two uh, about the name of her character and I know Russell T Davis must have been sat there laughing himself sick about that because he knew <laughs> he, he knew as soon as you name a character Astrid because it's an anagram of TARDIS the fan community will start yes. screaming and shouting oh yes well, for, for me, it was more about the fact she's an Australian. That never works in Doctor Who. It, it doesn't, really, it doesn't. But 
with the the crew and um, passengers mm. on the Titanic, they were all from this far-flung nebula at the back of nowhere mm. and they were visiting Earth because they wanted to see primitive cultures. Mm. But here's this cocktail waitress going, oh, Kiwi, cover up a gom tree, Doctor. How you going, mate? You know, it's really lovely to see you. Can I travel with you, mate? Mm. I mean, this... this Thick, broad Australian accent just bellowing out from the screen at you. It, it really stands out for Aussie listeners, I suppose. And my, my question to you, Tom, um, mm. is the accent of Kylie Minogue jarring to you as a U of K watcher? No. I like her a lot. Um, I think when I first heard that she was going to be in it, I thought, oh, God, it's stunt casting. And it probably is stunt casting. But when it comes to it, she's actually a better actress than I thought. Now, I was going to say it's not the best performance in Doctor Who, but do you know what? It, it, it's, it's, it's OK. She was, she was OK in it. Um, she's not, it's definitely, it's by no means the worst performance I've ever seen in Doctor Who. You know, that honour belongs to several different, can be shared among several different actors <laughs> from, the, from the classic series. But she, she played her part well. She worked well with David Tennant. She did what she had to do within the context of the story. Um, and most importantly, the, the, the story introduced uh, Wilf really well. The, the one thing I, did, I would say is that uh, I, I really wasn't taken with the whole lonely God, I'm going to save the world speech. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and there's even that bit where that um, old Earth historian makes you know, some, some sort of interesting reference to, you know, you can't do that because that would make you some form of God. Mm. And, um, you, you know, the, the David Tennant doctor almost pauses at that point and he seems to be seriously weighing up the pros and cons of it. That that seems to be a wonderful bit of hopefully intentional foreshadowing of the um, gap year stories, especially Waters of Mars. Yeah, I, it, 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 it's interesting to see some of the the, the development the character the Doctor did in that year did in those in those two years, and that's something else I'd like to talk to you about in this in this little geek out. But are, are you saying that, that Voyage of the Damned wasn't very good? Is that what you're saying here? Um, I'm I'm probably saying that yes. Yes, um, it, it had one of those things that I really didn't like about the David Tennant Doctor, that he made all sorts of bold promises to people about, you know, I will save you, I will fix this. But on so many occasions, he just didn't. And it happened twice, or probably even three times, really, mm. in Voyage of the Damned. He didn't save the obese husband and wife, mm. and he didn't save Astrid. Mm. And at various points in the story, he said, I'm going to save you, I promise. Mm. And then... Whether it's meant to be a, a, a characteristic of this doctor that he's a very much a tragic hero, because he then spends a lot of time saying "I'm sorry" to those people who have either just died or are about to die. Mm. Um, whether we're just meant to accept that this is just a failing of the tenth doctor, that it's one of his how, how, how shall one say it, human characteristics. Oh, well, he's half human on his mother's side, isn't he? Yeah, oh, of course, yes. <laughs> Okay, um, this it kind of begins to open up the po- the other point I was going to make to you uh, about the Tenth Doctor, which is essentially that he's an egomaniac coward. Uh, but well, you know, perhaps we'll talk about that later on. But he's a flawed hero, and that's what attracts me to him. And I think Voyage of the Damned just just carries that on. And one of the things about um, Tennant's portrayal of the Doctor or the Tenth Doctor as he was written is that. He, the, the Doctor's failure to do the things that he wants to do, that he would like to do, that he would prefer to do. Um, and it could be argued, I suppose, his own failure to live up to his own myth um, is very evident in this story. And, and it is saddening um, because 
as I say, he fails. And you, you have those two characters. The whole thing is the Poseidon adventure, obviously. But you have those two characters dying, and you have Banacafalata dying and giving himself up. In fact, it could be argued that uh, Banacafalata is more of the Doctor than uh, the Doctor actually is himself, in, in as much as giving up his today um, so that people can have a tomorrow. Which I liked it for what it is, which is a bit of fluff on Christmas Day. I don't really want to have to think about metaphysics and death too heavily um, on uh, just, after, just after a big turkey dinner. And... Uh, yeah, Voyage of the Damned, it could have been better, could have been different, but you know what, it was fine, it's, it's, it's fine. Not, by no means the worst of the Christmas specials. There are other shows that, that probably fit that bill particularly well. Um, but okay, if, if the question was, what do you think of Voyage of the Damned? I thought it was all right. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, I mean, really, I mean you, you've sort of got me thinking about the whole thing of Christmas specials in general. Okay. Um, that... Well, they knew it was something a friend. I mean, it, it it was something a mate mentioned to me years ago, saying, "Well, this this whole thing about Doctor Who now having regular Christmas specials seems so strange because, like I said before, I mean, you you can't deny that Doctor Who Christmas specials are very, very different to every other show's Christmas special. Yeah, um, they're, they're they're just so very different. <clears throat> they're they're not about the season of goodwill. They're not about giving you a a, a warm, fuzzy feeling like eggnog." On you know Christmas Day. Well, they um, are. They are. I mean, it, it, okay. So look, traditionally in the UK, I, I'm, <clears throat> and I, I need to be told about this for, for the rest of the world because I haven't done any research about it. But traditionally, it, it's the Christmas Christmas Day and Christmas Day evening is the time when traditionally people would sit, be sat around the TV and needing something to distract them from the fact that they've been with their family all day. And the Doctor Who now lives in that slot is, to me. Absolutely astonishing. I, you know, the analogy I use for this is that um, for some people, uh, they've, they've got a space in their heads reserved for sport, um, or they've got a space in their head reserved for music. So, you know, some people love football. But in me, the space that most men have football and cars in is filled with Doctor Who. And so to have the show in the middle of the prime, t- of prime time on the most important television day of the year is just like winning the World Cup. It's fantastic. So even if it was just a picture, a static picture of Tom Baker with um, a loop of the theme tune going round and round for 45 minutes, I think that was brilliant. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I totally agree with you. At, at the end of the day, shows like Voyage of the Damned are great family entertainment. Yeah. You know, they're, they're fantastic spectacle, wonderful special effects, great music, you know, some, some great performances in there. Mm. But... For a lot of British series that I think, as a general rule, and certainly Doctor Who is that these days, they take a break over Christmas traditionally. They don't run from, say, October through to February. Doctor Who these days runs from, what, March to late July, basically. Yeah. And they, they have to artificially manufacture this place in the schedule so Doctor Who can have a Christmas special. It, it's not a naturally... Um, ongoing occurrence of a regularly running TV series. It it really is a, it's a one-off special. thing that is there. Yeah, yeah it, it's special. But for, for me, I think Christmas specials do, to a certain extent, come from American TV. And a lot of American TV does run over the Christmas period. And during their regular, you know, 23 or 25 episode run, they will do an episode that is centred around Christmas in some way, even if it's just having a few baubles in the background of an ER room or something like that. But um, Doctor Who and certainly other series that don't run their seasons over, you know, that that December Christmas break, have to artificially insert that to, I, I suppose, justify it. Right, Okay. 
Uh, immediately, two things spring to mind. Um, the first being the Horns of Nymon. Have you forgotten about the Horns of Nymon? Have you forgotten that it was the pantomime for that year? Um, and then also, uh, can, I, can I refer you to an episode called The Feast of Stephen in the Daleks' Master Plan? Ah, Tom, but that's why I specifically said, I'm sure I did, that it's new series Doctor Who that does this. Certainly, back in the old days, back when we were all, you know, young children <laughs> enjoying classic Doctor Who, Doctor Who did run over the Christmas period. And yes, you do have episodes like... Feast of Stephen, where William Hartnell turns to the screen and wishes everyone Merry Christmas. <laughs> you do have Horns of Nymon, which are, as you rightly say, pantomime stories, mm. and, you know, they, they, they revel gloriously in it. But let's fast forward to the modern series, and they do have to artificially manufacture stories like this just so they can have something to come out at Christmas, even though a regular series of Doctor Who isn't anywhere near the broadcast date for this story. All right, let's not have them then. Uh, and, uh, yeah, well, I, I don't <laughs> see why we shouldn't. Why don't we have an Easter special instead? We did. Did we? Oh, you're talking about that bus one, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, but that, that doesn't count. Just because they mention eggs in that, that doesn't make it an Easter special, does it? Even though it's audio, you can see the expression on my face. <laughs> Well, okay, fine. <laughs> the, the place I come down... Okay, where I come down on this is I understand that it's artificially uh, artificially created and it's not, it wouldn't naturally be there, but it's been there since the show returned and I think it absolutely seats Doctor Who as being one of the most loved shows in the country at this, at this time. It's been six years and I'm so glad to see it. And I... Every time the specials have been on, I've sat there full of full of wine and whiskey, whatever else I've been drinking that day, with this, with this happy glow, thinking, right, this is my Christmas present. All those years of being in the darkness with no Doctor Who. And I can sit here now, looking at this, happy. And even the next Doctor, which I've got to be honest, isn't my fa- is, is my least favourite of a lot of them, um, just made me so happy because if nothing else, I got a picture of all of the of the lead actors when the Doctor Hope opened up that, um, that that memory container. It was just it's it's great. I understand what you're saying. It, it it feels a little bit odd and they seem a bit strange, but you know what? I love them. They're great. I'm so glad that we've got the Christmas specials because it, it, number one, it cuts the gap between seasons in half. And this year, we've got a huge gap, haven't we? Doesn't it? It starts in October this year, no, next year, doesn't it? Oh no, it's something ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah, um, you know, because they want to. Oh. Uh, Yes, of course, because the season will be transmitting uh, after the Olympics, which is fine. Um, but then, if we can make it, if we can get into the habit of putting the show there, it would mean that in tw- twenty thirteen, the show would be transmitting over the fiftieth anniversary. That'd be good. It's, it's not just the Olympics, though, is it? Isn't it because uh, Mr. Moffat's so busy with doing um, Sherlock as well? Uh, Sherlock, but, you know, you, Sherlock and Tintin. Yeah, uh, yeah. The uh, BBC basically said, you know, Mr. Moffat's so busy. Um, we've got him doing so many things. Um, Doctor Who fans are just going to have to wait. That's cool. I can, that, I, I can wait with another. That is coming. no. That that is not cool, Tom. That is not cool. It, no, I think I think it is. I can wait if I know it's coming. If it's if it's you know if it's, if it's wait oh, if it's wait or or have nothing, I'll wait. <laughs> Tom, have have you even listened to yourself the last couple of minutes where you've talked about Doctor Who being? "Quote the flagship program mm. for the BBC." You know, the, this is supposed to be the best of the best as far as the BBC is concerned, and it is getting treated shabbily. Now, I kind of was on board with the 2009 thing where where David Tennant basically said, I'm off to do other things, Um, let's fit the schedule around me. But here you have someone who has been hired initially as the showrunner for Doctor Who, Mr Stephen Moffat, and he's been brought on board, hey, 
you know, the BBC said, hey, Mr Moffat, we want you to do Doctor Who. It's our flagship program. Get 13 episodes out a year. There's a good boy. Off you go. Mm. No, he'd rather toddle off and do other things as well. And Doctor Who suffers as a result. We do not get our full complement of episodes next year. And, and, and that annoys me. <laughs> no, it really does. I mean, you have to make a decision. I mean, mm-hmm. sure, Sherlock is phenomenally successful. Yeah. But surely there has to be some way in the resources of the BBC, in the hallowed halls of the BBC, to figure out a way to still get all the episodes of Doctor Who, all the episodes of Sherlock. And I can bet you bottom dollar that we're still getting every episode of Sherlock next year. Okay. Um, hmm. What I'm thinking there is that it's unusual that the schedule or the production of a show would be moved around and forecast for two years because we have to wait for the showrunner. I, I, this is television. It's it's more about. It, it's not about. Oh well, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll just wait for the person to come back and do it. It is okay. The, the normal. Uh, version of this, as I understand from people who work in the industry, is if you look, you do it or you don't do it, and you're lucky if you get asked to yeah. do it at all. Um, and so, yeah. to, to shift everything around to allow Stephen Moffat to do to actually do this is a compliment. Is actually a compliment. Um, you know, my understanding of TV is that it's driven by eco- by economic values, and so a show as successful as Doctor Who, if we're going to keep it uh, keep it successful and forecast it for the, for another two years, which is a luxury, as I understand it, that most shows don't really have. I mean, even EastEnders has to be oh. thought, has to think about. Well, okay, are we going to be on on the air in the, in the next couple of years? Where Doctor Who knows it will be. Of course, it's a compliment. It's a compliment to Stephen Moffat, yeah. Esquire. Um, he has been told, you are so important, we can't do either show without you at the helm. So therefore, we are going to delay our flagship program for you. It's not a compliment to us as the fans. Uh, surely you're not saying that. Surely you're not saying that this is a way of saying, here, fans, thank you for being such devoted watchers of Doctor Who since 2005. Have half a season because we've got the guy, the only guy in the world that can do it off doing Sherlock. This is a different thing. This is not about Doctor Who. This is about you. This is about you being aggrieved that there's less episodes next year. But isn't that a slap in the face to the fans? No, no, it's not. Why not? I mean, why do we have to suffer because our showrunner has to do other things? Why can't we still get Doctor Who next year? Why can't we get thirteen episodes next year? The season's split over two years, so we've got. So there's a delay. Correct me if I'm wrong here. No. Okay. Go on. You're wrong. All right. The season is split over two years because Stephen Moffat isn't available to give us 13 episodes this year. I thought it was that budget. If, no, God. Did I forget to mention the word flagship? Did I forget to mention, you know, this is one of the key money spinners for the BBC? I know Doctor Who has a limited budget, yes. Mm. They have to cut corners. The whole corporation's got a limited budget. They're selling TV Censor and the licence fee's been frozen for the next two years. There's no more money coming in. But surely, if you're looking at ways to generate revenue for the BBC, you'd go, hey, why don't we make some episodes of that show that generates us a shed load of money? No, you wouldn't sit there and go, oh, let's only give them six episodes next year. That'll raise us a lot of money. It's disgusting. Let's split the production of the show over two budgetary years so that we can actually get as much money as we've had now rather than having to take a 20 or 30% cut. But are you trying to say that Doctor Who wouldn't make a shed load of money if we got 13 episodes next year? I'm saying that my understanding is the decision has been made to maximise the amount of money that's available for the production which has been to delay it by a further six months and split it over two budget years. I need someone else to explain that to me, but that's my understanding that I've got right now. Uh, yeah, I, I understand that's what the official BBC reason is. Yeah. 
But to me, that's not saying we're going to be throwing any more money at Doctor Who. It's saying we're going to spend 50% this year, 50% next year. And the reason for that is because our showrunner is off toddling around doing modern-day Sherlock. I think it's less mechanistic than that. And I think I think that's looking at the wrong end of the telescope. I think the decision is made about budget, and then it's like, well, OK, um, I'm, a world, I, I'm a world-class writer and producer. What am I going to do? Actually, it's cool, because I've got these other projects that I've got. So even though Doctor Who's pushed back... I can continue to work on these other projects, which is not ideal maybe for Doctor Who fans, but it's better than we've got no Doctor Who at all. I mean, okay, don't get me wrong. I I, I love the rescue dog analogy about Doctor Who fans, i.e. Um, because the show was taken away from us once, we're just terrified it's going to happen again. And look at the way people have reacted uh, over the confidential cancellation. And, you know, I, although I don't feel that love, uh, I do understand... Uh, how important it is because frankly the one thing in, in total reality the great thing about confidential is, is, is it exposes the uh, the mechanics of making television to a generation of children who will in turn uh, most likely be making that television in 20, in 15 to 20 years time so that's you know that's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's very important from that point of view um, and I know that the cancellation of, of confidential doesn't mean that, that suddenly there's a load of money exposed for Doctor Who because it, it just doesn't work that way um, but at the same time, I'm just realistic about it. And, and and as I say, there is the bit of the rescue dog about me in as much as if it is, take a six-month holiday from it, let the producer go and do some other stuff, but you get the show this year and next year and certainly into its 50th anniversary. I'm, I'm more inclined to go, yeah, than put on some sort of cardboard badge and, preser- and, and parade up and down in front of the BBC going, give me back Doctor Who, when the reality is we're being given Doctor Who. There are other shows that are being cancelled. You know, because as I say, the context for this we have to we have to remember is that the license fee has been frozen. There is no money, and if in order to survive, Doctor Who has to move in the schedule a little bit, let it move in the schedule. We can't say there's no commitment to Doctor Who. Of course, there's a commit- commitment to Doctor Who. It's got its own studio built. It's got its own production facility built. It's go- <laughs> you know, it's, it's not as if there's not yeah, it's going away. I, know. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's it's just probably different heads looking at this. But to me, at the end of the day. When you look at ways for the BBC to raise money, you don't say, well, let's halve the output of our biggest revenue raise. It's not I mean, being I'm, halved. I'm quite... It's not being halved. It's being It moved. is. We, oh, we, we, we are getting half the amount of stories in 2012. Right, OK. Are you saying to me that we're going to be getting 18 episodes in 2013? We haven't had 18 episodes this year. What? There, there are 13 episodes... This year, right? Yeah. Okay, so the way, the way I understand that, that this works is that there are six episodes at the end of 2012 and six episodes at the beginning of 2013, and then there's six episodes at the end of 2013 and six episodes at the beginning of 2014. So we're still missing six episodes somewhere. What, where, where are you getting these extra episodes from? There's, there's, there's only 13 episodes in the, whole, in, the, in the year. How many episodes were transmitted this year? 13. Well, 12, and then we've got the Christmas special. Okay, 13. Yeah, well, yeah 12, 12, 13, whatever, yeah. yeah All right, yeah. So, what, so what's 6 plus 6? And then next year, yeah. we are getting... 6? Six. 6. And at the beginning of 2013? So, we're getting 6. And at the end of 2013? And then at the end of 13, we're getting 6. And at the beginning so of 2014? Where's my, where's my missing 6 episodes from 2012? There aren't 18 episodes in 2012. There are only 13. There are only 13. Where are 13 episodes in 2012? The season is split over the end of 2012 and the beginning of 2013. So there are, in that season, there are 12 episodes. It's just that they start at the end of one year and finish at the beginning of the next. Oh, you, you, you are talking at cross-purposes. We are talking about years compared to seasons. I, I do agree, yes, the, the season is split. Yeah. But when we're talking about the amount of episodes delivered per year yeah. for Doctor Who, we are getting less in 2012 than we got in 2011. 
All right, my my answer to that is the season is pushed back into the beginning, into the end of the year, and so it's split over the two. It's split over the two years. It's a longer delay than I would like, but it's a delay rather than a cancellation. The option is all right. We're going to move it. We're going to cancel it. What do you want? I'd say move it. Tom, have have you ever considered a career in accountancy? No, because <laughs> you've been able to cook the books in a way that. <laughs> I've, I've, I've never thought imaginable, Tom. I mean, at the end of the day, for me, we're getting less episodes yeah. in total. Sure, you can extend the range. You can say, okay, my end point is the end of 2014, for example. Yeah. And by some clever accounting, you can say we're getting exactly the same amount of episodes. Yeah. But if you look at year by year, mm. we are getting less next year. Do we not have an Easter special as well next year? Well, that's still less. We, we, for a, a flagship series that is, I'm sure, the biggest revenue generator for the BBC in its entire history. Well, I can't say that. Well, I'm going to say it. I'm going to make a big call and say Doctor Who is the largest revenue raiser for the BBC in its history. All right. And I would be surprised if anyone could come up with figures that would doubt that. Oh, but, don't say uh, that. <laughs> No, I'm 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 going to put it out there. I'm I'm sure that's true. But and and for the BBC to treat that revenue raiser in such a way, for whatever reason, just 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 seems a little bit shabby to me. It's being protected. Other shows are being cancelled. This one is being moved. That's different. Doctor Who is in no fear of being cancelled at this present point. In Whoa. Time. Okay. Well, I, I don't know what goes on at the t- at TV centre. So okay, fair play. <laughs> Tom, you mentioned before that um, there's a little bit of stunt casting that happens in modern Doctor Who. And, and that gave me a little bit of a, I, I suppose, a fond flashback to the classic era because that, that's one of the phrases that used to be levelled at um, John Nathan Turner. Yeah. He used to do quite a bit of um, so-called stunt casting. Mm. Uh, he, he was very keen for his, um, so certainly his season openers to be you know, sort of come out with a big splash, you know, lots of column inches in the media and everyone talking about who's going to be in Doctor Who this week. Mm. And he, he became very much a fan of stunt casting. So that seems to be one of the big things about the J&T era. I'm wondering whether you had an opinion about that. Um, well, I do, and I have it, but it's a wider opinion about um, John Nathan Turner as a producer. So I, I don't know. I don't want to patronise anybody, but let me just be absolutely clear about this. So John Nathan Turner was the last producer of the classic series. And not unlike Tom Baker, he was the longest incumbent in the role. And now we'll have another conversation about John Nathan Turner at some point, maybe today, but certainly in the near future. Um, And one of the things about John Nathan Turner was that he absolutely loved the show. I think he was a very, he was, he was a little exhausted by the time it finished, but (laughs) his, uh, his commitment to the show is is beyond question. Uh, and in order to raise ratings and to generate interest in the viewing public in the show, yes, there were castings that, in hindsight... Well, not even in hindsight, actually, that at the time seems... Even at the time, yeah, definitely. Yes, yes. Seems strange. Now, but we have people like... We talked about Paradise Towers. We had Richard Bryars, um, a very well-known and very well-seasoned comedy actor. Um, we had people like Ken Dodd, Again, another uh, well-known music hall actor, certainly in the, in, in the beginning. Uh, people like Jones, uh, Jones Sim, the carry-on actress. Oh, from Mysterious Planet, yes. Yeah. And who, who, who was that one that they put in um, 
uh, Earthshock. She was very familiar to UK audiences, Bell but Reed. she wasn't a big name to me. Bell Reed, yeah, I mean, she she must have been big to you guys, but for me, it certainly left me a bit cold. I didn't really understand why everyone was saying, you know, she was such a big name. She was, she really was, um, and then of course, um, perhaps the uh, the most well-known piece of stunt casting uh, being the casting of Bonnie Langford as uh, Mel. Uh, And to be honest, my view is that uh, in the 80s, it wasn't quite as bad as it is now where you had reality TV shows where people became famous for being on TV. Um, Those people that were stunt cast actually had careers, actually had skills. And I'm just wondering that whether had uh, Bernard Cribbins been cast in the 80s as opposed to in New Who, whether he would have been considered stunt casting because frankly, that's an 80-year-old actor who's very, very, very good at what he does. Um, and to me, I, I, perhaps I just have a different view of this uh, than, than, than perhaps some other Doctor Who fans. Anything which drives people to the screen, to me, is a good thing. Anything which preserves the long, uh, and perpetuates the show is a good thing. Um, there, there were other concerns in the 80s that, that were killing off the audiences, but casting well-known names uh, to prominent roles in the show, I don't think was one of them. I think two stunt casting takes on an extra dimension that it has to be defined as something that is used as very active publicity for the show. And you mentioned there Bernard Cribbins. Now, I think it was a surprise to us all, or pretty much for those that don't read Doctor Who sites, that Bernard Cribbins did have that cameo in Voyage of the Damned. Um, it, It wasn't something that was trumpeted massively in the media at the time, saying come and see the guy that was in, you know, one of the Dalek movies from the 60s. He'll be in Doctor Who this week. Whereas J&T, rightly or wrongly, whatever you think of it, used such casting opportunities as a way to um, get noticed in the papers and in the magazines and on on television. So I I would say no, certainly in in Bernard Cribbin's case, um, it's not stunt casting. It's merely a way for a production team to do a fond homage to, um, you know, Doctor Who's roots. Okay, so as we're talking about stunt casting then, I'm thinking, all right, Catherine Tate, the day, I, I remember, the day I was ashamed to be a Doctor Who fan, the casting of Catherine Tate, um, not because, for no other reason than that I was just stunned by, by the reaction that I saw, certainly on one prominent Doctor Who site, uh, of people abs- just slating her. And I was thinking, hang on a minute, this is Catherine Tate. This is one of the country's finest and best comedy actresses. Forget comedy actresses, classical actresses that we've got. Okay, she's not Tilda Swinton, but it takes now to cut to cast comedy. And every time there's been a comedy actor cast in Doctor Who, they've done pretty well. My, the immediate option to me was uh, John Pertwee. Yeah, because all he was was a comedy at that point. <laughs> yeah. you know, that, that was a comedy actor. But yeah, as I say, that was the day I was ashamed to be a Doctor Who fan because the, the, the terrible and wow. the awful things people it's... were saying about her. Ridiculous. And, and, I've got, and I've got to say, I'm not vilified by it. I'm, uh, I'm pleased that I came down on the other side of the fence, which is like, no, she's brilliant. She's, number one, she's very attractive. Mm. And number two, she's brilliant. Um, and I'm pleased that at the end, when it came to the end of that season, she was recognised as being possibly the best companion in New Who. <laughs> it's interesting for me, uh, being over here in Australia, as some of you have uh, probably figured out already, um, that when someone mentions, oh, this person was, uh, you know, a bit of blatant stunt casting, I go, oh, really? Mm. Because... A lot of the people that are cast in Doctor Who in the UK, like Bonnie Langford, like Nicholas Parsons, like Ken Dodd. And how good was Nicholas Parsons? He was great. It, exactly. But what I'm saying is that for anyone outside the U of K, it's sort of, well, that's just another actor because they don't have that presence outside your country. 
So it's difficult for me to objectively comment upon because a lot of the comments you make about stunt casting, I only can agree with them because I have heard that opinion expressed elsewhere, not that I personally believe in it because I don't know the actress or actor in, in anything other than Doctor Who. So if you've got Alan Dale in, would that, would that convince you? Well, that's a problem I have with a lot of American series, but that's probably not stunt casting. That's because Alan Dale needs to be fed. And, um, <laughs> and, and, and the amount of times he gets killed in, the, in American TV series is quite staggering, so I think they get sick of him pretty quick. But that's, a, that's an entirely different story. But stunt casting for me is, a, it, is someone showing up on one or two episodes and then not being there afterwards or, or not being there in the next adventure. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering whether someone like Catherine Tate qualifies as stunt casting when you have to, I suppose in some cases endure, in some cases appreciate her performance for a whole year. Mm. Oh, I, I, well, I, I totally appreciated it. She was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And as I say, um, to my mind, and, as, and unless I've missed something, she's regarded as being one of the best companions in you. Who, I mean, she's not, she's not Billy Piper. Um, but then again, Billy Piper, that's another one, you know. Um, yeah, true, yes. Um, and, yes. I, 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 and I was actually impressed. I mean, I, a bit of me, I was inwardly a little bit apprehensive because I thought, oh, does she act? Is she any good? And she was great. Um, I, th- I think at one point people were complaining that the show had turned into Rose Who. But <laughs> the days of stunt casting, that, 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 that idea of um, casting prominent actors in unusual, shall we say, roles in Doctor Who is not finished. It will continue. Stunt casting goes as far as even this year's Christmas special uh, because we've got uh, Bill Bailey appearing in this one, in this year's one. That's true. That's true. Mm. It, it's, it's, it's interesting these days with the internet, though, that um, pretty much every personality is known by at least someone. Mm. Um, you know, you, you can be the smallest personality. You can be someone like, um, let's say, Mitch Ben, who has, you know, who's, who's a musician and ha- has appeared on The Now Show, for example. Mm. If he was to appear in Doctor Who there would be a certain part of the audience that would cry, stunt casting, stunt casting, he's really famous, but then to a lot of people he, he mightn't be well known. Mm. Um, whereas I, I think in the old days with Doctor Who, like certainly in the classic era, if it was to be described as stunt casting, you'd have to be pretty much globally or nationally known as a personality, like Nicholas Parsons, like Joan Sims, <laughs> like those sort of people that are, are well known for a variety of um, roles and performances like like they were. Do you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, Bill Bailey is a, is, a, is a known Doctor Who fan. Uh, mm. he, I think even in his live show, he does this... <laughs> he does a sketch about... Um, uh, imagine that Doctor Who was French, and so it's called Doctor Qui, rather than Doctor Who. It's particularly <laughs> good. Où est le Dalek? Ici le Dalek. Oh, oh parlez-vous français? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, OK, so having offended every single listener in France, should we have any listeners <laughs> in France? <laughs> but it, it, it's great. I, mean, it, it, I think it's great that you've got these, act- these actors turning up. Um, also, uh, one of my favourite actresses, and I, I seem to have this thing for um, uh, mature female comedians, Arabella Weir's going to be in it too. Um, Arabella Weir, probably known to most people as uh, a member of the Fast Show Company. 
uh, he's partic- he was particularly good, uh, just f- famous for the "Does my bum look big in this?" character. Um, but yeah, so there's going to be a number of comedians in this in this, in this month's in this year's Christmas special. But I'm again, I'll say it again: anything which drives viewers to the screen to me is a good thing. That's right, because Doctor Who is such a niche show that's always in fear of cancellation at any given point of time. It's always good we get these big names in Doctor Who to let people know that the show actually exists. Oh, calm down, right, Tom. Calm down. <laughs> We can go. We can go. We can go back to 1989 if you want, where it is. Where it really is a niche show. <laughs> it, it became a niche show, and that's the great tragedy of the late 80s. But that's a, a conversation for another episode, I think, Tom. All right. Because um, I, I think we've um, said all we're allowed to say. We've said our quota of words for this week. I'm afraid, Tom. Have we? Oh. oh, we have, I'm afraid. I've, I've been counting and we're up to 15,667 and we've only got about 400 to go before we have to uh, stop recording. Right, well, OK. I ha- See, on my little list, I had John Nathan Turner, um, saviour uh, or killer of Doctor Who, and then I also had um, uh, comedy in the show. But all right, we can do that for, we can do that for another day. See, that's, that's the difference between you and I, Tom. I sat down and decided, OK, we aren't talking about Sarah Jane. I'll watch Voyage of the Damned. You sat down... And wrote a list. There you go. I sat down with a corkscrew. (laughs) And let the list flow, I'm sure. Well, yes, yes. (laughs) Oh, Tom, quickly, before we go, um, we have to do a quick mention about the competitions we've got going at the moment. All right. Um, The the Day of the Daleks Paradise Towers competition that we started in... uh, Episode 106. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, so go back to episode 106, have a listen to the uh, competition details for that. Please get an entry in because at the moment you've got a really, really good chance of winning. And we've also got another competition. <laughs> that, well, it's true, you do. Um, we've also got another competition going um, from last week's episode, uh, James's interview with Simon. So please have a listen to that and enter. And we've also got something else going. We're going to be doing a Christmas episode like we did last year. Um, but what we want this year is we want to produce uh, in our own beautiful multi-textured tonal voices one of your scripts for Doctor Who. So what we'd like you guys to do is come up with a Doctor Who themed script. Please keep it to say two or three minutes in length in total because we don't have a lot of time to uh, do it like a feature length Christmas story. Um, Nor do we have the skill. <laughs> we, we, we have the skill, we have the technology, but we just don't have the time. <laughs> so please, two, two, two or three minutes in total. Um, make sure it features, uh, you know, both James, Tom and myself and it has to be based around Christmas and it has to be uh, G-rated, unfortunately, guys. So What's yeah, G-rating please. mean? It has to be clean, Tom. You, you okay. can't have any rudy words in it. Oh, right, so none of the pre-edit versions of your, of your audio stream then? No, right. none of the stuff that appears you know, before the scissors start hacking their way through my audio. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right, Tom. <laughs> so, yeah, so G-rated, has to feature all three hosts, has to be based around Christmas. Um, you've got about three or four weeks to get it in, guys, so we can have enough time to then produce it ourselves so it can come out on Christmas Day. So, please, if we can have something in the next couple of weeks... Um, we'll choose the best one that we get in and um, it will appear in uh, the DWP Christmas episode. How about that? Terrific. So, Tom, um, 
didn't go quite as we thought it would go this week. And James, please, I hope, uh, hope the wife has a speedy recovery and you're back with us next week to talk about um, Elizabeth Sladen, Sarah Jane and uh, all sorts of things like that. So we, we very much look forward to that. Yeah, perfect. In fact, he's been on Twitter. So fine, <laughs> moaning that he's... Oh, actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Moaning that he's the camp. How lovely. <laughs> There's James's poor wife lying on her sickbed, probably drinking orange juice and got a warm compact on her head. And James has still found the time to post to Twitter. Oh, you know, come on, priorities and all that. <laughs> oh, well, that's true. We we have to keep the fans happy. The wife comes a distant second, apparently. Yeah, so there you go. quite so. <laughs> All right, OK. Well, <laughs> so what can I say? Thank you for a bit of a gig out. Um, and uh, James, hope you're well. Angela, of course, get well soon. And, uh, well, everyone out there, we'll see you next week. We will. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> that was the Doctor Who podcast which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care.